Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. of a sermon series that we started a few weeks ago called The Grippy Sock Vacation. If you're here, if you're in Montgomeryville, if you've been with us, you know, two, two weeks ago, I, I introduced you to this, this phrase uh, that I didn't make up, I, I read online, uh, and basically younger people are using it to say, I need a, I need a mental health break. I need, to, I need to check myself into a uh, facility so that I can get a break from, from life, right? I need, I, need, I, need, I need a chance to reset. And so I told you a few weeks ago, I said, listen, God doesn't want to just give you a vacation from, from what you're dealing with. He wants to give you victory. So we started dealing with things that I've seen people struggle with in their lives. And so we started two weeks ago. I said, we're going to talk about shame. Let's talk about what shame looks like, how you get rid of it. Last week, we talked about bitterness. And today, I want to talk to you about something that if I'm honest, uh, the, the articles that I've read, the studies that I've read, the conversations that I've had, we are experts at struggling with. In fact, uh, during 2020, the thing we're going to talk about today, they studied people and they said about 62% of people struggle with this disorder in 2020, maybe because of what was going on. Uh, but since then, we're still, we're still resting around 35%. So one out of three people struggle with this disorder in this life. What are we talking about? We're talking about anxiety today, a- anxiety. Now, uh, before I move forward, I want to make sure you understand anxiety is not the same thing as worry as doubt and as fear. So I want you to think about your life right now. I want you to think about what you're going through, what you're facing. Uh, we're going to call them situations. Can you just bring that up? Situations. Can you just bring that situations up? Situations. I want you to think about your situations. What right now is causing you to worry, to doubt, and to fear? Maybe worry. Uh, I have two teenage boys. That's causing me to worry. It's a lot. I think about all the things that, that I know the world brings at them. I think about how much I've seen men specifically struggle with, with lust and with pornography and with relationships and manhood. And I think about the examples that they're surrounded by right now, which seems to be lacking, if I'm honest. I think about the world they're growing up in, and it makes me worry because I don't want them to be influenced and in, infected by that world. I want them to become who God has called and created them to be. So if I'm honest... There's some worry there. Anybody else have any teenagers in this place? Right? Maybe, uh, maybe you're facing something um, and you have doubts about it. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe um, there's something that you, 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 you a, a report from a doctor that you've gotten. Uh, maybe it's a struggle you have in school. You have, you have doubts about it. There's, there's doubts. There's worries and there's doubts. Name your situation. Anybody got anything they're afraid of? Fears? Some of you are afraid of the future. Some of you are afraid of something you're going to face. Some of you are afraid of something that you might face. You don't even know if you're going to face it, but just in case, you're going to be afraid of it. Your, your, your doubts, your worries, and your fears. Now, they're different than anxiety, and, and here's why. Uh, your doubts, your worries, and your fears, they're temporary. 
There's things that you're afraid of right now that'll never happen. You won't be afraid of in a couple, in a couple years. It won't even happen. There's doubts that you're going to get answers to as you move into the future. You're going to have moments where you doubt God, and then he's going to show up and show out, and you're going to go, okay, he was in control. There, there's areas of your life where, that you're worried about that in a few months, they're never, they're never going to happen. You're not going to be thinking about it. Some of you right now, what's a really big deal to you right now in this moment, even in a week, you're not going to be thinking about right? And so they're, they're temporary. You use your problem-solving skills, you walk through life, and you move on. Anxiety is persistent, it's imprisoning, it's overwhelming. The Bible says this about anxiety in Proverbs 12. It says, anxiety weighs down the heart. Anxiety, it's like a weight to the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. Now, I'm going to give you the word of God and one of his attributes is kindness. So I'm hoping by the end of this 30 minute talk that I've given you the tools to move through anxiety, right? Because worry, fear, and doubt, they're not anxiety, right? They're what happens when you worry, fear, or doubt. When you do those things without God, you always end up in anxiety. When you, when you worry, when you fear, when you doubt. So here's the math. Situations minus God lead to anxiety. It's not the situations you're facing. You're going to have them. The Bible says you're going to have trouble. You're going to face things. You're going to go through suffering. You're going to have doubts. You're going to have moments where you don't know what's going on. You're going to have things that overwhelm you. When you go through those things and you take out God, it leads to anxiety. And here's the problem. Anxiety is rampant. In fact, I just talked to a woman. She was walking out of the, uh, of, of the second service, and she stopped me, and she said, I work with students. And so I started thinking about how many of them struggle with anxiety, and I was going over you know, their reports and getting ready to help them through things. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't imagine how many kids right now in our schools, they're, they're, they're in prison, and they're struggling with an anxious heart. So I have to imagine if kids who are going through this life without facing the extreme adult difficulties that many of us are facing are struggling with anxiety, how much more worse is it right now in our lives? Situations minus God lead to anxiety. Here's how I know anxiety is not from God. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 1, watch what it says. For God, he doesn't give us a spirit of fear and timidity. It's not from God. What does he do in those situations? He gives us a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Situations minus God lead to anxiety. What's your situation? Here's what's happened for many of us. When we get in those situations and we develop anxiety and you take away God, here's what I read this week, and it was jolting to me because I started thinking about anxiety, the moments I've had an anxious heart. Here's what one person said. All anxiety then, if it's not from God, if it's really about taking God out of the equation, situations minus God equals anxiety, all anxiety that you face is really just practical atheism. So I'm like, what's that? I know what atheist is. An atheist is somebody who doesn't believe in God. A practical atheist is somebody who says they believe in God but lives as if he doesn't exist. It's one thing to believe in God. I believe in God. I believe in the goodness of God. It's another thing to actually believe God. Are you tracking with me? It's one thing to go, God's good all the time and all the time God is good until we get in a situation that's overwhelming, that's worrisome, that creates doubt. It's, it's in that time, are we able to say God is good? No, oftentimes anxiousness and anxious heart, it rises up inside of us. And what happens is anxiety really is revealing inside of us that many of us are really just practical atheists. Let me just tell you what your anxiety is actually saying in the moment. If you're a believer, what does your anxiety actually say in the moment? If you're not a believer, 
believer, listen, I get your anxiety. If I didn't know God, if I didn't believe in his kindness, if I didn't believe in his sovereignty, and if I didn't believe that he was going to make a way where there seems to be no way, if I didn't believe that he had my life in his hands, I would live my life in extreme and prison anxiety if, in, if I didn't believe those things. If I didn't know the goodness of God, I don't know how you make it through this life without God. I get it that you need something inside of your body, a pill, to help you numb the pain and the fact that you're not in control. But if you know God, we know the one, we know the source, we know the person who controls, we know the creator, we know the one who sustains. Am I preaching right 11 o'clock service? And so when you struggle and anxiety and you understand it's just, you're just taking God out of the equation, here's what you're actually saying in that situation. Number one is this, when you struggle with anxiety, you are actually saying, I love this world too much. Because when you struggle with anxiety, what you doubt, what you worry, what you fear, let me just, let, let's maybe argue, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but when you struggle with doubt, when you struggle with fear, when you struggle with worry, it's often not eternally base. You're not going, I wonder if heaven is still there, and I wonder if my house is still prepared for me, and I wonder if Jesus is still on the throne, and I, and, and I wonder if I'm still forgiven, and the cross is still enough. Most of us that know Christ, we're settled in that. Our feet are fitted firmly on the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that, that through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, that he's forgiven our sins and secured us a place in eternity, and nothing can shake that. My name's been written in the Lamb's, you know, we'll start saying that. My name's been written in the Lamb's book of life, right? Like, we get all Pentecostal. We'll say all of these things, and then something breaks, something goes wrong. You get a bad doctor's report. You lose a job. Money gets tight. Uh, you have a teenager. All these things happen. Let me ask you something. Are any of those things taking away the fact that when you take your last breath on this, on this planet, that you'll take your next breath with Jesus because you've been saved through grace? Nothing shakes it, yet we'll let the moments of this life ruin eternity for us. In other words, we oftentimes, if we're not careful, will miss the fact that our anxiety is revealing that I value the temporary more than I do the eternal. We let things that are minute and simple and, and, and momentary steal from us the fact that our feet are situated on the firm foundation of God. Let me, let me give you an example. I dressed, I helped uh, Harrison get dressed today, and uh, he, we, I asked him to pick his clothes out last night. He picked a button-down shirt. I don't know why he did that. I don't know if he has a girlfriend here. He wants to impress, something like that. Picked the button-down shirt, so I ironed it, and I, I don't, I don't want to re-iron stuff, and so I ironed it. You're wearing it. He puts it on today, comes into my room. I got to do, do his hair, and uh, he has the shirt buttoned all the way to the top. And I said, what are you doing? He said, I don't, I don't want to leave it all unbuttoned. I, you know, he wears a necklace. You can't see my necklace. If I do that, I'm going to wear it out like I'm the Catholic priest. And like, I'm like, we're not Catholic, right? And, like, and, and, and he was like, if I unbutton it, you can see my chest. I'm like, you, you can't see your chest if you have one button. That's if you do it like an Italian dude. You get all the way down, right? Just one button. And he's like, you can see my chest. And he, he's buttoned it. I said, you're not wearing it like that. And he said, why? I said, that's a dork stoop. We're not dorks. You're not wearing it like that. And so I made him not do it. He freaked out on me. He's like, he's letting it, the whole thing ruin his day. And I'm thinking, dude, are you really going to let this one button ruin your entire day? You get to go to a new Journey Kids room. You know there's a PS5 in there. And you're going to go to a new worship area. And you're going to get all sorts of new, new things. It's going to be exciting. You're going to let you're gonna let the fact of you having to wear a button-down shirt unbuttoned once ruin your whole day? To which he would say, yes, I will. Sure, he has it buttoned up right now in church, right? Because he's like that. He's a sinner. He needs saved. 
Did the fact that, he, that the one button was, was, was buttoned or not buttoned, did it change the fact that he was coming to New Journey Kids Room and there was a PS5 and all these things were about to happen? And you know, he, No, it didn't matter, but he was going to let that affect everything. And some of you are allowing very temporary moments in your life to cause anxiety to be in prison to, to yourself. You're, you're, you're missing the fact that God is in, he's in control. He, he, he got you, but you're going, no, no. I know he, he got me in eternity, but I don't know if he has me in the temporary. I, I, I struggle. Just say it to yourself next time. I struggle with the temporary. I, I struggle with loving this world too much. Jesus dealt with this. Matthew chapter 6, he, he preached a message. 6, chapter 6, chapter 7. Uh, the church world calls it the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm assuming it's because he's on a hill and a lot of people were watching, right? And so he preaches the Sermon on the Mount, and it is gold. Like, it is two chapters of just Jesus bars. I mean, he's just incredibly preaching. He's preaching on all different topics. If he was in a preaching class at college, he's flunking because he's getting off course and bringing new, new things in. But he's just going, right? Like, he's just preaching. And it's so cool because the people that are listening, they would have had a life where they would, it would be easy for them to have anxiety. They, they, they were living under Roman control. They were Jewish people. They, they were waiting on God to bring a, the king to save them, and they didn't really know when that was coming. 500 years of silence, and, you know, they were paying high taxes, and they didn't like the president at that time. And they, these, these guys, these soldiers were kind of impeding on their freedom, and they would just do whatever they wanted. They can make them carry their bags if they wanted. Like, they lived in a world that was, that was kind of filled with anxious opportunities. So Jesus tells them in Matthew chapter 6, therefore, here's what I tell you. Do not worry about your life. Somebody highlight that. It's not a suggestion. Jesus isn't going, you should worry about it a little bit. You take, you know, hours 9 to 3, and I'll take 3, you know, 3 to 12. I'll get that for you. We'll be fine. He says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, because we worry about how we're going to provide. We worry about money, what you will wear. How do I look? What does my body look like? Do I have wrinkles? Is this going to work? What, are, what will you wear? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? You're focusing on temporary things. Is not life about eternity? What's interesting is right before then he deals with money because that's how we, we try to overcompensate for our anxiety. I'll get more stuff so I can buy more stuff. I'll get more stuff so I can look better. I'll get more stuff so I can afford more things. Jesus says, listen, don't, don't focus on treasures on this earth. You focus on treasures on this earth, you're investing yourself in areas where thieves and moth and rust destroy. He says, focus on the kingdom of God. Put your treasures in heaven where thieves and moths and rust can't destroy. Protect the way that you see things. He's trying to tell us, don't focus on the temporary. If you love the temporary, you're always going to be exhausted because here's why. Can I just tell you why? Because right now you are dying. You're like, I'm dying? The moment you were born, you took your first breath, you were closer to death. You live in a temporary world where nothing is guaranteed. That's why Jesus came to fix the soul problem, the sin problem, to fix the eternity problem. Listen, for me, I'm going to find peace and I'm going to find joy and I'm going to find comfort in knowing that no matter how long I live on this earth, when I take my last breath here, my next breath will be with Jesus. I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. Your anxiety reveals you love this world too much. You love this world too much. Let me give you another one. Your anxiety is a revealer. You don't think God's in control. You, you, you struggle with the belief that God is in control. You look at your life. 
you look at your situations, you look how big they are, you start to wonder, does God got this? Is God in control? Can God really do what he says he's going to do? Is he really going to open up the right doors and close the wrong doors and bring the right people into my life and take the wrong people out of my life? Is God really in control? When I struggle with anxiety, my anxiety is just a reflection that internally I am struggling with one of the best things about the character of God, that we serve the God who is sovereign, all-knowing, all-powerful, and ever, never, never, never not in control of our lives. We serve the God who's in control. In fact, Jesus says this in Matthew 6. I love what he says. He says, look at the birds of the air. He says, he keeps going. He tries to remind them. He says, look at the birds of the air. And I, when I read this, I always think, man, Jesus, like I, I just watched Jesus' revolution this week. And so I don't know if I'm in the hippie mindset, but Jesus gets real hippie right here. Watch what he says. He says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't store away in barns. All the things we do, am I giving enough? Am I saving enough? Am I going to be okay? Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Some of you are like, I don't know. Am I? Let me just make sure you understand this. Animals are important to God, but they're not more important than people. People are the only creation by God that he put his actual breath in, that he gave us a soul. Some of you are like, no, no, my cat, my dog, my bird, all this stuff are more important. No, they're not. Like, my animal's going to be in heaven someday. I'm like, what's the criteria, right? Your dog says the sinner's prayer stops crapping on your shoe. Like, what's the criteria? Cat stops staring at you like they were going to eat you, right? Like, we, we, the criteria is to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so what does he say? You're more important than them. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? I love that. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Some of you are like, who's Solomon? Solomon, the richest man ever. Even in all of his best effort, he can't do it. The Bible says, this is how God clothes the grass of the field that is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. How much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Your heavenly Father is in control of your life. When you struggle with anxiety, what are you saying? I don't know if you're in control. In fact, I wrote this in my notes. Anxiety is believing that God won't get it right. God might not get it right. It's placing our life and our faith in the what ifs, and not in the God is. God is in control. I'm going to give you an example of, of this in my own life. I'm going to talk about parenting. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to start a new parenting series. And so I'm going to probably share all sorts of failures from my life. And so, but let me tell you about a success. Uh, I, taught, I taught Carter one, about when he was six, seven years old how to swim. So if you're spending money on lessons right now trying to teach your kid how to swim, come see me. I'll save you a bunch of money, right? And so... So he was six, seven years old, I believe. He might have been five. I don't, I don't know. The legend grows. And so, but he was old enough to where he should be swimming. And I remember as the year was going, going towards summer, I said, hey, this is year you're going to swim. This year you're going to swim. No more swimmies. No more goggles. You know, you, 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 I was thinking like, man, he's going to be 16 years old walking out in some swimmies and some goggles. I'm like, we're not doing that, right? And, and the truth is is, 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 is he got in the water and we got in the water and you're looking around and go, man, I'm not in control. I don't know how to do this. So it gets terrifying. So what do you do? Try to control, right? 
I got to I got to put my water wings on. I got to get my goggles on. I got to, you know, look like a dork. And so, like, you got to do all those things, right? And so he, he, he would get in there. And I would say, it's fine, but you're old enough now. You got to learn how to swim. You're going to learn how to swim. You're going to learn how to swim. And he was the first son. I don't know if, you, if you're a parent, but the first kid is always the most cautious. The second one does things a little faster because he has the first one to, to watch. The third one, he's, he, he does stuff super fast. And by the fourth one, they're just crazy, right? And so, like, crazy. And so the first one's super cautious. So he was cautious every year, cautious. So I was like, you're going to learn how to swim. And so it was, a, it was a Friday, and he was six, seven years old. My parents had an above-ground pool. It was about four foot tall, which I'm probably sh- pretty sure he could stand in at that point, but he didn't know that. And so, and I'm like, today you're going to learn how to swim. We went on a Friday. The reason we went on a Friday is my parents lived in the middle of Bartow in a neighborhood where most of the people would be at work, and no one would be able to hear him scream. <laughs> my parents weren't there. It was me, my wife, and my, and my son. We took him to the back. He, he was, I'm going to swim, I'm going to swim, I'm going to swim. We took him into the back. He saw the pool. He's not going to swim. So I said, you're going to get in. He tried to put his, his floaties on. I popped him with a knife. I threw him out, right? <laughs> I didn't do that, but I wanted to. And so I put him back in the box. I said, you're getting in. So I got in the water first, and he's freaking out, and he gets in the water. And I wanted to tell him in the moment, this water is four foot tall. Your dad is at least six foot, we, maybe six foot one. We don't know. And so, but I'm 33% of me is out of the water. I'm dominating this pool, right? Like it, I'm like, you're going to be fine. And I got him in the middle of the pool. He started screaming. I told his mom, go inside. You're not going to like what's about to happen, right? I told Carter, there's nobody here. Nobody can hear you. Nobody can see you. It doesn't matter how loud you scream. Nobody's coming to help you, right? We're figuring out how to swim. So I took him to the middle of the pool. I remember first I got him on the edge. I went to Boyertown swim pool when I was a kid, and I learned how to kick in the back. And so I taught him how to kick, and then I took him out to the middle, and I said, we're going to swim. And he freaked out, and I said, I got this, right? I got this. And he's looking around, and he's like, I don't know if you got this, right? And I'm like, I'm standing. I got this, right? I'm not going to let you drown. I'm in control. You can trust me. you got to let go of control, and you letting go of control will stop putting those water wings on and letting go of the side of the pool. And so finally, I convinced him to come out to the middle because he could swim. He just was afraid. And I took him out to the middle, and I said, we're going to go. My hands are going to be underneath your belly the whole time. I might pull them away. I'm going to stand close. If you start going under, I'll pick you up because I am in control. And he had to trust me. Dad is in control. You can let go. You don't have to stress about it. And wouldn't you know, a few minutes into it, after he screamed his bloody brains off, and he's letting the whole neighborhood know he's freaking out, and my dad's abusing me in this pool, right? Like, I, I let him go, and he swims. And by the end of the day, he, ne- he never went back to the swimmies again. He swam. My mom and dad got home. He's swimming. He, he's swimming everywhere now. He's 13, 14, 15, 16 years old this year, and he can swim by the grace of God. But he had to let go of what? Control. He had to trust that his father was in control. And I'm just telling you, some of you, you're anxious because you won't let go. You got to get the swimmies off. You got to let go of, of control. But every time you're anxious, if it's practical atheism, if you're taking God out of the equation, here's what you're saying. I don't know. I don't know if God's in control. Number, number three, last one. Third thing you're saying is I struggle with the fact then that I can trust him. Every time you have anxiety, what you're really saying is, I'm not sure then if I can trust God. My my anxiety level is related directly to the depth of trust that I actually have in God. It's so easy to say you trust God until you actually have to trust God. 
And we'd rather just be anxious about it and let it overwhelm us and not be able to sleep and not be able to rest and stress out about the things you stress out at and not listen to what the Bible says because we don't really know if we can actually trust in the goodness and the grace and mercy of God. So let me just ask you that question. If you're a believer, do you trust them? Like we'll say stuff like, uh, I'm going to rest in the shelter of the Most High until the storm comes and we got to get in the shelter. I've seen that in my own life one time. We, we lived in Oklahoma, and uh, Oklahoma has these little things called tornadoes. I don't know if you ever heard of them. And uh, because they have tornadoes, they also have shelters in almost every house. Older houses have a shelter outside in their house, in the yard. Uh, it's usually made out of, out of, out of cement. Uh, some, some newer houses, they had shelters in, their, in their, their walk-in closets. Some of the newest houses in Oklahoma when we went, they were putting their shelters in their garages. And uh, we didn't have one. We didn't have any of those. And we were newly married. We had our first house, and a storm was coming. In Oklahoma, it's not as scary as you think it is because they can tell you exactly where the storm is coming at the exact moment that it's coming. So they'll tell you, get in the shelter. But we didn't have a shelter. But the good news is, a few streets down, somebody had a shelter that we, our friends, and so we called them up. We said, can we come? And if the tornado comes, can we get in your shelter? So we went to their house. We were standing in their driveway. I remember it like it was yesterday. You could kind of see the funnel clouds moving all around you. It was kind of eerie because it was dark, and it was lightning, and the sky would light up, and you would just see this funnel just kind of moving around and we're listening to the radio or TV I don't remember which one it was and finally they were like it's, it's coming your direction you know it's, hit, it's touching down you can hear the sirens you got to get in the shelter and it's all good to know you have a shelter so you know, have to get in the shelter we went to get in the shelter I remember they opened it up we looked in my wife and me but more my wife let's just let's, 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 let's it's her right and so she was scared she didn't like small spaces and I, I looked down I'm like this that's a shelter I was thinking like a like a finished basement something like that I looked down and I remember both of us were like yeah we're gonna take our chances with the storm <laughs> oh is it really that bad right turn on the news it's just funnel cloud it's fine I've seen you know I seen the tornado movie what was the twister I'm good right and so and it's, it's one thing to have the shelter. It's another thing to get in the shelter because when you get in the shelter, you're not in control anymore. You actually have to trust that the shelter is going to get you through. And I, I, I think it's so funny. Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus lays down these bars, right? Like he's preaching. He's, he's encouraging. His disciples are there. They're probably listening. They're like, this is incredible. They're taking notes, right? They're going to make bumper stickers out of not worrying about tomorrow and not having anxiety. And Man, they're, they're loving it. In chapter 8, Jesus sends them into a storm while he's in the boat sleeping. And it's not like they went back to chapter 6 and we're like, we're not supposed to worry about tomorrow. Why are we worried? It's fine. It's a storm coming. You know, Jesus is here with us. They're freaking out. They're like, Jesus, wake up. But he's like, what? He's like, it's a storm. He's like, it's fine. I told you it's all going to be good. He, they're like, no, no, we can't trust you. We don't know if you're in control. We, 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 we don't know if you're, you, what you're going to do. And Jesus gets up and he says, peace be still. Now, can I go back to sleep, please, Peter, right? I was having an awesome nap. I was really tired. I just preached two chapters of the Bible, right? And it's, it's like we hear these messages in church, right? You get it. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to worry. And then tomorrow, what do you do? You worry. You let your heart become anxious. And the truth is it's because you have a heart. We have a hard time really trusting what God says. What's anxiety? Situations minus God leads to anxiety. So, how do you switch it? Situations don't go away. 
You add God into your life. Watch what the Bible says. I love this verse in the Bible, 1 Peter. What does it say to do? You're going to cast all of your anxiety on him. Every, every time. Fears, doubts, worries. Every time they happen, I'm going to cast them. I'm going to give them. I'm going to hand them off to Jesus. And what does the Bible say? Because he does what? Because he cares for you. And here's what happens when you do that. I'm going I'm to teach you three things that will happen. The opposite of what happens in so many of our lives. The first thing is when you cast your anxiety on Jesus, when you begin to trust him through, through your, your fears, your worries, and your doubts, you'll begin to live a life that goes from anxiety to peace. Let me just help you understand something. Peace is, is not the absence of problems. If you want an absence of problems, you're in the wrong place. In fact, I think because I follow Christ, I face more problems. I think it would be easier sometimes to, to not do this job, to not pursue Christ, to, to not seek his will. And we do a bad job and we tell people, hey, if you follow God, everything will work out. So he, here's the difference, though. He fills my life with the peace that surpasses all understanding. I'm able to give him my, my fears, my worries, and my doubts. And I promise you, you'll begin to live a life that has less anxiety and more peace. It's only from God. It's heavenly peace. It's not somebody going, man, your life is perfect. It's somebody going, in the midst of all the things that are going on in your life, how the heck are you staying calm? How are you staying composed? How are you okay? Because I have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, abiding and ruling in my life. So you go from anxiety to peace. And what happens is when you go from anxiety to peace, the next thing that happens is you go from scarcity to abundance. Some of you are stressed out because you have a scarcity mindset. And you serve the God who owns everything. One of the favorite phrases in, in scripture that we'll say is, we serve the God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. But I don't know what that means really or what that looks like. I'm not, you know, I'm from Boyertown, but I was never into that. And so... Like, I think that just means that he has all the resources that I need to accomplish what I'm called to accomplish. So I begin to live a life where I'm not scared all the time and overwhelmed and wondering if I'm going to have enough. I have peace in my life regardless of circumstance. And then I live a life of abundance instead of scarcity. And here's what's cool. When you begin to live a life of abundance instead of scarcity, the last thing is you begin to live a life of rest instead of exhaustion. Instead of being exhausted... I get to rest. And here's why that I want to talk to you about this is I meet people all the time that can't sleep. And it seems so simple. I'm like, we just close your eyes. Put your head on a good pillow. I get you, get, get you in contact with one. And so and you just go to sleep. And you meet people all the time that can't sleep. Why can't they sleep? Well, they're worried they can't trust God. They're worried that God's not in control. They're worried about the temporary, not the eternal. They, they have clear understanding. Look, when we worry about all those things, worry, doubt, and fear without God, it's clearly what's going to happen is anxiety because we know that we're not in control. We know that we, that we, we can't really trust anything. We, we, we know everything we have is temporary. It's fleeting. It's, it's, it's minute. It's, 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 it's going away as we're even talking about it, trying to hold it. It's disappearing. So what happens when you put God first in your life? What happens when you begin to serve him? What happens when you begin to seek him through your worry, your doubt, and your fear? One, peace. Two, abundance, and three, rest. You know, you know sleeping is a gift from God? If you're a good sleeper and somebody gets mad at you for sleeping so much, calls you lazy, you say, no, I just trust God. I just trust God. I know I can put my head on the pillow and the world will still spin. Do you know that? 
Like he, he, he has the world in his hands, so you don't have to. And you get to go to, to rest. That's the gift from God. So what do we do? I want you to think about your situations. They're not going to bring it up again. I, don't, I didn't think that far in advance. But your situations that you face, whatever they are, <laughs> we got to get on the same page. And then I want you to just imagine it. Situations, visually, mentally, act God in, seek God. What, what comes? Peace, abundance, rest. Peace, what, what does God bring? Abundance and rest. You seek God. I can trust him. He's in control. He secured my eternity. I'm not min diminishing your problems. I'm not telling you don't have things you should be worried about. I I'm not telling you there's nothing you're facing that shouldn't cause some fear. I I'm not telling you there's nothing in your life that won't bring doubt. What I'm telling you is when you go through those things, take them to God. What does he bring? Peace, abundance, and rest. Some of you, the biggest takeaway from this is going to be eight hours of sleep tonight. You are allowed to put your head on that pillow, go to sleep, and not worry about life. God got this. The Bible says he never sleeps nor slumbers. That his eyes are fixed on you. That his thoughts for you are so many, they outnumber the sand on the shore. That he has your story written, that he's the author and the perfecter of your life. That you can sleep tonight. That he has more than enough to bring into your life to, for you to accomplish what he's called you to accomplish. That he today wants to bring you peace. My situations, okay, I got them. But I'm going to bring God back into them today. When I bring back God back in peace, abundance, and rest. That's the promise of Scripture. Let's stand to our feet. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Where are you at? Let me just make sure I tell you with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I know some of you might get mad at this because you've grown up in a world where they make things that are broken normal. And so you've heard your whole life, anxiety is just a part of this life. Anxiety is just a part of this life. It's a part of reality. It's what we struggle with because life is so hard. And uh, I'll add to that. You're right. It's a part of life without God. It's a part of this difficult world when you try to face it without God. It's a part of hopeless situations when you try to handle them without God. But I'm telling you, when you invite God into your life, through a relationship with Jesus Christ, that anxiety has no home. That fear, that worry, and doubt, you take them captive. That's what the Bible said. And you make them obedient to the truth of Christ. He's a God that's in control. He's a God that'll make a way where there seems to be no way. He's a God that will give you peace that surpasses all understanding. He's the God that will give you, God that will give you meaning from meaningless situations. He's a God that gives you purpose. He, he, he's the God that restores and redeems. He's the God that sets free. He's the God of abundance. He's the God of rest. You can rest in him today. And every time from this day forward where it gets difficult, where stuff gets, gets it's a little etchy in your life, when it gets overwhelming, when you want to fear, when you want to worry, when you want to doubt, when you want to get stuck there without God, which leads to anxiety, you're going to remember what I said today. That's not from God. I'm going to cast all of my anxieties on God, all my cares on God, because he's thinking about me. He's worried about me. 
He's mapping out my life. He's in control. I can trust him. Some of you, that's hard for you. That's hard for you. Because from the moment that you've been born, people have been letting you down. So here's what you believe. You believe you got to do it on your own. If I don't do it on my own, if I don't get mine, if I don't think about myself, if I don't live a self-centered life, if I don't go out and grind as hard as I can grind, man, I, nothing's good's going to come my way. I can't trust nobody. I can't be in peace. I don't have time to relax and rest. I got to go. And you say to me, it's even been proven to me. Those that were supposed to love me, those that were supposed to be close to me, those that were supposed to support me, they left me. They hurt me. They turned their back on me. And if you're honest, you live your life now in response to those things. And I know you're afraid. I know it's hard to even hear that there's a God that loves you. I know some of you have made so many mistakes in your life and do, done so many quote-unquote stupid things that it seems like it would be impossible for the God that I'm talking about to even want to be in a relationship with you. But I just want to remind you of something. As everybody's heads bowed and everybody's eyes closed, you're standing by a bunch of screwed up people today. Sometimes it's fun to say that. It's a good reminder that I'm not a, I'm not a good person. That I've been saved by the grace of God and he's called my life and he brought stuff out of me and he uses me but it's not because I'm good it's only because he's good and perfect and I rest in him and I have joy in him and I have security in him and it's not a religious thing I'm not a religious person that's not what I'm trying to introduce you to religion says your life is messed up here's a couple of things you should change if you do those things maybe your life will stop, start going better and maybe God will take you back that's religion Jesus says, there's nothing you can do to get to God. So I came to you. While you were still a sinner, Jesus says, that I was dying on a cross for your sins. That I laid down my life freely for you. The Bible says that, uh, that Jesus was crucified and on the, put on a cross. And then they placed his body in a tomb. And they tried to end the story. That was it. They sealed the tomb. They guarded it. It was over. But Jesus told them, I'm coming back. Not only am I going to pay the price of sin, but I'm going to defeat death and hell. And it's going to be through me that every man, woman, child that ever is born on this earth will have a chance to have a relationship with God. It'll be through me. And he's here. And you might not believe it, but he's for you, not against you. You might not believe it, but you can trust him. You might be beyond your mind to even understand, but he's a God that is in control. And here's what he wants from you today. The first step to rest, the first step to peace, the first step to abundance, the first step away from anxiety, the first step to getting through your fears, your worries, and doubts is for you to stop trying to do it on your own and for you to give your life to Jesus Christ. I can promise you, you keep searching, you keep carrying, you keep holding, you keep trying to do on your own, your life's not going to change. Eventually, there won't be enough counselors, there won't be enough drugs you can take, that there won't be enough things you can drink, there won't be enough of anything to satisfy what you're missing because it's only found in Jesus. And he'll meet you here right now. 
The Bible says that he, would, he knocks. If you would answer and let him in, he'll come into your life. That if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that he'll save you, he'll heal you, and he'll make you whole. That's your first step. I'm going to let go of control because that's really what anxiety is. I'm trying to control. I can't trust. I'm going to let go. And I'm going to fully trust in God. I'm going to bring my worries, my fears, my doubts, my past, my present, my future. I'm going to bring it all to the foot of the cross today. I need Jesus Christ to be my Lord and my Savior. Man, if that's you, if as I'm talking with every head bowed and every eye closed, you're saying, hey, that's me. You're speaking to me right now. I know there's a voice in your head telling, telling you right now, just ignore it. He's not talking to you. Just get over. He's going to pray in a second. I hear the piano. I've seen this before. We're going to be out of here. And there's something inside of you that's telling you right now, even louder, it's time. It's time. It's time for you to stop doing this on your own. It's time for you to stop running. It's time for you to give me your life. I love you more than you can imagine. If you would just let me in, I'll heal you and I'll make you whole. If you hear that voice, if you can feel that knock at your chest, if you're ready to say yes to Jesus all over our houses, I I want to pray with you as we close. I believe this is the most important, most monumental, most life-changing decision that you could ever make. I need Jesus Christ to come into my life. I want him to heal me and I want him to make me whole. With every head bowed and every eye closed, front to back, side to side, here and in Montgomeryville, if you would say, Pastor, that's me. I don't know Jesus Christ, but today I need to. Would you just shoot your hand unashamedly straight towards heaven right now? Would you just put it in the air? There's a hand here. There's a hand here. There's a hand here. Yes. There's a hand over here. Hand, hand, hand. Yeah. few people in Montgomeryville. Would you clap with them for Phoenixville? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray all over our houses. If you're in Montgomeryville, if you're here in Phoenixville, I want everybody to repeat after me. Let's say this together. Let's say, Jesus, thank you for this day. Jesus, today, I know that I need you. Today, I'm going to put my life in your hands. Jesus, I believe in you. I know you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you were put in a tomb. And on the third day, you rose in power. And it's through you that I become a brand new person. Today, you're healing me. And you're making me whole. I'm filled with love, grace, mercy, and hope. And as we stay in this moment and we rejoice with heaven... I, I just want to pray over those that I, I, I know, I feel. There's people in this room, specifically when we talk about rest, specifically, that there's people in this room that they haven't slept for years, years. They thought it was a chemical imbalance or just something that was passed on to them from, from their, their parents and their parents' parents just haven't been able to sleep. But what it really is, is anxiety manifesting. Well, they haven't been able to really trust you, to really find comfort in you, to really know you were in control. And Lord, something is, is, is changing in this message. Lord, the Bible says that anxiety weighs the heart down, but a kind word lifts it up. Lord, the kindest words are the words of God. The Bible says that your, one of your characteristics is kindness. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance. And your word is full of life if we would just lean into it. 
So the next time we worry, the next time we doubt, the next time we fear, we're going to do exactly what Peter said. We're going to cast our our anxiety on you. We're going to bring it to you. And here's the thing. And then we're going to leave it there. We're going to lay our head on the pillow. And instead of thinking about all the what ifs and the problems and the worries and the doubts and the fear, we're going to fix our eyes on you, Jesus. We're going to know you're in control. We're going to see you seated at the right hand of God in a place of authority. And it's there that we're going to find real, real rest. What I would call blessed rest. The rest that we can have when we know you're in control, that we can trust you, that our eternity is secure. Lord, we know that you can do all things. The Bible says you're the God of the impossible, that you make a way where there seems to be no way. Some of us, were facing impossible situations, but we forgot that we serve the God of the impossible. Lord, I thank you, Father, for what you're going to do through this message. Lord, some of us, even right now, we're just leaving it here. We're just going to walk out of this place, and it feels like a weight has been lifted from from our chest, Lord. That's the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the sovereign God. You're in control. We can trust you. We can leave it here. Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for reaching people, saving people, and setting people free. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. One more time, church. Let's shout amen together. Let's clap together. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.